What's up, fanboys and fangirls? Welcome to Review Point, episode 15. I am Tony Mango, the host of the show, the main man over at fanboysanonymous.com, and today we are going to talk about Terminator Genesis. Now, the reason why, one of the reasons why I'm doing this on my own is kind of a sad one. Nobody really was interested in seeing Terminator Genesis, and it's kind of interesting because we did our For Real Movie Club earlier this month, where we broke down all four of the previous movies, and you can see kind of why. Uh, the first Terminator film, classic. Second Terminator film, one of the best films of all time. One of the best action films, at the very least, my favorite film, film of all time. Terminator 3, things start to change. By Terminator 4, Terminator Salvation, people aren't really on board with the franchise anymore. And I usually get a bunch of people to go see the movies together with me. You know, I, I like to have that big atmosphere and stuff like that. But for the people that are outside of my area that work with Fanboys Anonymous and stuff, and the people that are in my area, it was tough to get people to go. I actually only got two of my friends to go with me, and neither of them are actually a part of this website, so neither of them are into the podcast kind of things and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, we've got a plethora of people that we have that work for the site, and nobody was really interested in seeing it. That is something that shouldn't happen. And we're going to break down, or I'm going to break down, I should say, some of the reasons why this happened. And, of course, because this is a review point, we go through the, not only the misses, but the hits as well. I'm going to talk about some of the points that they're going to miss out on. Because I went into this movie expecting the worst. And everybody that I've talked to has said the exact same thing. That if this movie ended up being just okay that it was better than what they would have expected. I assumed that this was going to be just a horrible train wreck where I had nothing positive to say about it whatsoever. And, uh, you know, I'd leave the movie thinking the same thing that I thought when I saw Terminator 3, which was just, why did they fuck up my favorite franchise? Or one of my favorite franchises, you know? I don't know where Terminator ranks when it comes to Bond and Star Wars and superheroes and stuff, but we'll see. Um, thankfully, that didn't happen as much. Uh, that does not mean that this is a good movie, though. Um, overall, if I have to give, you know, we usually go with our overall first impressions, I would have to say that this is a skip, and I'm not upset that I spent my 15 bucks on it, but I've been telling people that have been asking me, should they see it? No. It's not because I don't support the series, and it's not because I don't support the idea of going to the movies and having fun, but movie theater prices are too expensive now, and you have to kind of watch which ones you go see. Jurassic World is something that I would definitely recommend to people. Avengers Age of Ultron, definitely. If there's one movie this year that I would definitely recommend to a lot of different people, it's Kingsman. But when it comes to Terminator Genesis, it's something you can download. You can just check it out on Netflix, you can Redbox it, whatever you do as your alternative to go to the theaters, that's what you can do. Um, obviously, I do need to warn everybody uh, ahead of time, now that we're going to get into like the deeper parts of the movie though, there are going to be spoilers here. So if you have not seen the movie yet, and you do plan on watching it, and I would say to watch it, I mean it's not something that you should just completely skip, but uh, what you need to do is you need to bookmark this, go watch the movie come back a little bit later on 
then listen to it. And then, of course, leave your comments below. Tell me where I'm wrong. Tell me where I'm right. Give your opinion about different things. What are the hits and misses of the movie that you thought? So on and so forth. But we're going to get into this. Now, the overall plot structure of this film is essentially, uh, the best way to explain it is, the timelines on the Terminator series have been very convoluted, to say the least. I mean, the movie is predicated, and the whole franchise is predicated, on the idea that time travel fucks things up. We've got people that have mapped out different versions, and there's the uh, the many worlds theory that people have posited, where if you change one little thing, then it is going to make the universe branch off into another universe, and they've used this in comic books and different stuff over the years, you know. We've got uh, the Crisis on Infinite Earths thing with DC, where you could see, like, the Jay Garrick version of The Flash and the Barry Allen version of The Flash, and then it leads into the Wally West version, and you've got Earth 2 Superman and Earth 1 and Earth Prime and Earth whatever, and... You know, Superman is part of uh, communist Russia, or he's an American. You've got Spider-Verse in Marvel Comics, where there's dozens and dozens and dozens of different types of Spider-Man and stuff. It's not a concept that's really too crazy when it comes to pop culture now, but it's also something that maybe needs a little bit of explaining for the people that don't like the geekier kind of sci-fi stuff. And the simplest way to put it is, if I were to have a choice, I'm going to flip a coin, I'm on a road, and I need to go right or left, and I'm not sure where to go. I flip a coin, and I say, heads, I go right, tails, I go left. Flip the coin, it lands on heads, I go right. Well, what if I would have had it land on tails, and I would have gone left? Essentially, it breaks down to, there's one universe where I went right, one universe where I went left. That could be the biggest thing that changes everything, at an entire uh, universe. Um, who's to say that if you're on the superhero side of things, that the Wayne family doesn't make a left turn and they don't go down crime alley and suddenly Joe Chill doesn't kill Bruce Wayne's parents. Then we don't have Batman. Or do we have a different version of Batman? Or if you were looking on the Terminator side of things, what happens if, say, Sarah Connor gets killed? or if somebody else gets sent through time instead of Kyle Reese. It all stems on this idea that the future, or fate, or however you want to classify it, it's predetermined and it's not. So, the old films went through the idea that it was kind of a predestination uh, paradox, where the Terminators, uh, Skynet sends back a Terminator to go kill Sarah Connor because they don't want John Connor to be born, so the Resistance sends back Kyle Reese, self-fulfilling prophecy, Kyle Reese ends up being the father of John Connor, and the Terminator residue that's left over, the uh, the chip and the arm, result in Skynet. Uh, Terminator 2 kind of fixes that. Kind of doesn't. It depends on your point of view. And this is where things get a little bit more confusing, because some people break it down as that there is a pre-Terminator 1 timeline where... Kyle Reese is not the father of John, and going back and sending him changes it into a different world where he is. That's a little debatable. I don't know. I, I'm going to try to keep this a little bit less nerdy. I promise it's not going to be an entire review that's like this. But um, you could do this idea where 
there's pre-Terminator 1, there's Terminator 1, there's Terminator 2, and then even in Terminator 2, if you listen to the For Real Movie Club, I explained the extended special edition DVD where they have the deleted scenes. One of them is an alternate ending, and that is where Skynet is definitively defeated. John Connor is no longer fighting a war. He's a senator, and Judgment Day has come and gone. It's not happened. Everybody's fine. I mean, people are still fucked up, you know, I mean, the human race has still got its problems, but there's no mass extinction, there's no bombs dropping, Skynet doesn't get control, none of this stuff takes place. So, in my mind, I like that ending the best. So, maybe it's headcanon, maybe it isn't, I, that's how I view the series, this ending. There's there a different point where you can jump off after that, where you can go either Terminator 3 or you can go to the Sarah Connor Chronicles TV show. That one ignores Terminator 3, and can you blame them? Because it's so terrible of a movie. But that ignores it, and it says that instead they had to jump through time again, they had to go forward, and then there's Cameron, the Terminator, and, you know, it goes through that series and stuff. Or you can go with Terminator 3, and that's the one where they say that Judgment Day is inevitable, and it happens just a couple years later. There's CRS instead of the Cyberdyne system model that you know brings Skynet through and all that other kind of stuff. But that leads us into Terminator Salvation. And it could have been assumed that this picked up after Terminator Salvation. But this really throws all four of the previous movies and the Sarah Connor Chronicles out the window. The plot of this movie is predicated on the idea that they can go back, change everything from Ter Terminator 1 onward, and actually even before Terminator 1. Uh, the branching off point for this universe is when Kyle Reese is sent back through t uh, time. Right before that, something happens where we find out later on at Skynet has attacked John Connor. He actually says, once he sends Kyle back, that he doesn't know what happens next. That right there means that this is a different universe because it kind of rules out Terminator 2. Now, he should be saying they sent a Terminator back to 1984 and they sent one when I was 10 years old. Not 13, like Terminator 3. <laughs> Thankfully, that's one thing that this movie, I'll give it a hit for this. They get the continuity correct when it comes to that. There's no bullshit kind of stuff like Terminator 3 where they were calling him a T-101 and oh, when I was 13 years old. None of that stuff. This is legitimate. We went, we did our research and all that kind of stuff. So I like that. Big hit for me on that one because that's something that you have no excuses not to do your homework. But... This kind of rules out the idea that Terminator 2 happened. It goes more for Terminator 1 is the central core, and let's base it around that. And because of that, you can see that there's more of a connection, I guess you could say, to Terminator 1 than any other movie. They really ignore Terminator 3. They really ignore Salvation. There's nothing that hints to that at all. There's no Marcus Wright. There's no TX, nothing like that. Now, there is a T-1000, though. So I'm assuming that the way that they were approaching this movie is when they were making it, they were figuring out right, Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 were the only two good ones. Let's ignore the other ones and let's try to go back and try to reboot and only kind of deal with those. Because do we really need to have Catherine Brewster? Do we really need to have uh, Marcus Wright? Do we really need to have Barnes and you know all these other kind of side characters? It would have been kind of cool. I mean, even though I don't like those movies that much. 
I like continuity. So if they would have had, say, you know, one of the people in the unit that they attacked Skynet, maybe one of them is Barnes, that would have been kind of cool. But nonetheless, that's not really a hit or a miss. It's just, it is what it is. So they go back in time. There is a nexus point and it changes to a different universe. From here on out, there is no more continuity. Uh, and actually, they take liberties with it, and they go back even further than that. And they don't really explain too much of how this works, but the, this movie is built on the idea that what if a Terminator went back and tried to kill Sarah when she was a kid, not what before John was born or when uh, John was a kid. They're going to go back even further. And I'm assuming the part of that is also because people have had these discussions over the years of, well, why would Skynet only send back a Terminator to kill Sarah? Why not kill her grandmother? Or why not go back to the 1800s and kill somebody that's direct lineage and all that? And the argument's always kind of been, well, if you go back too far, you change too much, and then maybe Skynet isn't created because it's that self-fulfilling prophecy kind of stuff. But this movie kind of ignores that. And it kind of exi uh, exists in the way of, like, give us a little bit of leeway. I'll give them a leeway. I won't give them a hit or a miss on that one. They ought to do something a little bit different, you know. So, instead of seeing something where Kyle's protecting Sarah, you know, that stereotypical movie that we've seen before, where somebody's sent through time, they got to protect them, and then that's, you know, it's the two of them against the world kind of a thing. The T-800, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, is sent back and becomes a father figure to Sarah. Uh, this is actually one of probably my biggest hit of the movie. And that's pops is what they call him, which is kind of funny. I mean, we've got uncle Bob from Terminator two. And then this one's pops. He plays a different type of character, but he plays the same one too. And when I was talking with my friends after this, we were just breaking down, you know, some different things and saying about, like, it's kind of interesting that there aren't many things about Terminator 2 that carry on in this movie. There are some, of course, you know. I mentioned the, the T-1000, the Dyson family is in this and stuff. But one of the biggest aspects is the fact that this Terminator acts like the Terminator from Terminator 2. And I kind of got the impression that they were building this up as, like, what would have happened if the Terminator didn't destroy itself, or, well, you know, give the controls to Sarah at the end of Terminator 2. John wants it to stay around, and he's learned enough to this point where he's able to say, I know now why you cry, but it's something that I would never do. He learns in this movie more than any other thing, and there's a great part in this that really is probably the best part of the whole movie, and that's the obligatory self-sacrifice part. The Terminator has grown enough to the point where it keeps pictures of Sarah because it kind of views her as a daughter. And instead of having some kind of a scene where it does cry because it, it, it can't. I mean, it's a Terminator. It cannot do that. Instead of that, there is a part where he's sa sacrificing himself and all that. And he says to Kyle, take care of my Sarah. And it's a great way to kind of show that the Terminators are learning computers, and he's around for decades. 
uh, I think like what, what would it be? Like Sarah's in her twenties, so it's been at least ten, twenty years. I don't know, like thirty, forty, forty years or something like that. I don't know, but whatever the case may be, he's around for that time, and in that time, he should have learned more about how to interact with a human. And he's grown this attachment to Sarah, and it's actually the better love story of the two, oddly enough. I mean, it would be creepy if it was a romance, but if there are four kind of interlocking love stories here, I mean, you've got Kyle and Sarah, which is crap in this movie. Uh, I'll break that down in a minute, though. You've got Sarah and John, John and Kyle, and then Pops and Sarah, and... The only real good one is the idea that you've got Kyle has sent back has been sent back through time to be Sarah's one true love kind of thing. And that is pointless in this movie. I mean, uh, acting is one thing that gets into the way. I'll talk about that in a minute, too. But in the movie, there really isn't any romantic connection to it. Even in the first Terminator 1, I'll, I'll admit, you know, it's kind of forced a little bit, but at the same time, you can see a little bit of a reason why the two of them would get together. He has already said, you know, I came back through time to protect you, and I love you, and all that other kind of stuff. And she is in this emotional roller coaster, and this guy's protecting her, and it's one night that they stay together, but... She can tell that he loves him and a lot of other kind of stuff. In this movie, they just argue with each other, and it's really annoying. There's more of a love between Kyle and John than there is for Kyle and Sarah. And then Sarah's got her thing with Pops and stuff, but the interesting thing about that, and this is the another big hit that I have with the movie, is we haven't seen this before, where the Terminator is the father figure, and Kyle has to kind of fight the father figure for... Sarah's affection, sort of. Like, we had Sarah versus the Terminator and then John in the middle before, but it was more so, I want to kill this Terminator, that's the end of the story. And John going, well, this is my buddy, and her saying, he's going to die eventually. There wasn't really any kind of, like, emotional stress when it came to a familial role, because the Terminator was fulfilling the father kind of role, but he wasn't acting like a husband. And in this one, Pops, which they also, they put him as Guardian, which is kind of weird. So he's Pops throughout the whole movie, but they label him as Guardian. I don't quite understand that. That's a little a little miss there, a little nitpicking. But he acts as Sarah's father. And anybody knows, when you are dating somebody, if you're on the male side of things, you're public enemy number one, basically, when it comes to your father-in-law. When it comes to the women that are dating the men, of course, the mother-in-law is the, you know, it happens with everybody and stuff like that. It's one of those tropes of comedic uh, stand-up material and shit. But seeing Kyle fighting a Terminator on an emotional spectrum for the affection of Sarah Connor and then getting the approval of him, that was cool. I liked that a lot. And I read a story on Reddit, and I can't remember the person's name. I really, I apologize. I um, should have written it down, but I've lost track of it now, but... There was a user on a subreddit that was talking about how he went to go see Terminator Genesis with his father, who's really up there in his age, and he has dementia, I think it was, is what it was. 
but he just hasn't been himself and stuff. And when they went to go see this movie and there's a running gag that, you know, the Terminator can't interact with humans that well. And he's very cold and all that. Cause he's a fucking Terminator, you know, but that he has this like smiling gag and it's nice to meet you and that kind of stuff. And, at the end of the movie, when he has given Kyle Reese his permission to date Sarah, basically, and all that, and he smiles at him. Apparently, this, these two people in the movie theater, the, the guy and his father, uh, the father was smiling, and it was something that was out of the blue. Like, he hasn't seen that happen and stuff, and it really put a smile on his face. I I got that, too. I mean, that was that was a cool little moment. Uh, unfortunately, now we're going to start to get into the negatives. <laughs> uh, and there are a lot more negatives in this movie. Kyle Reese is supposed to kind of be our main character. He's the the lens in which the audience is looking through this movie. He's our protagonist. He's the guy that doesn't know what's going on. Sarah Connor has already grown up with this Terminator. She knows that the timeline is messed up. She knows pretty much everything that we don't know. And she's the one explaining everything. Unless the Terminator is. Because the Terminator, of course, knows even more than she does. But Kyle is an idiot in this movie and he's a jerk and he just is not heroic either. I don't want to blame this on Jai Courtney because a lot of people give Jai Courtney a lot of flack and they kind of do give him like the Michael Bay treatment where it's like, it's fun to pick on him so he can't do anything right. And that's too harsh. The guy is not the best actor in the world. He's not going to win best, you know, uh, actor next year for this role or anything like that. But he's not the one ruining movies. I mean, he might not help. He might hurt it. He might just kind of be in the background or whatever. But this movie doesn't live or die based on him. And he's not even the only bad actor in the movie. I mean, there's problems with everybody. But Kyle Reese in this movie is a dimwit who doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't seem like he really loves Sarah. It's just kind of like... In the script, I love Sarah, so hey, I love you. We should, like, date or something. And that's about it. So, I didn't feel it. I disliked that. I just, in general, Kyle Reese to me was nothing in this movie. He has got no character. And the character that it does have, the very sparing amount of character that they've given him, is just not impressive. So, big miss when it comes to Kyle Reese. Sarah, uh, Amelia Clark is no Linda Hamilton, and I'm not a Game of Thrones fan. I know a lot of people that are actually buzzed about this movie because she's in there and they like Game of Thrones, and to me, that is the stupidest thing that you can do when it comes to a movie. I've never understood the logic of, I like that actor in that other thing, so I like this movie because I like that other thing. Look, I like Kevin Spacey. He's one of my favorite actors. He kicks ass in The Usual Suspects. He's a, a better Lex Luthor than a lot of other people have in that, you know, really bad version of Superman and Superman Returns. He is amazing in American Beauty, but I've seen some shitty Kevin Spacey movies. And just because he's in there and he's somebody who's a great actor and stuff does not make the movie good. Just because Amelia Clark is Sarah Connor doesn't make her a good Sarah Connor. Linda Hamilton is believable as the badass version of Sarah Connor, and I don't believe it with Amelia Clark. She looks like she's 16 and couldn't take down anybody that she takes down in a fight in this movie at all. Of course, she has a gun, and of course she's going to take somebody like me down, but 
at the same time, you're fighting Terminators. You're supposed to be a hardened, battle-tested killer, essentially. I don't buy it whatsoever. And she's also so bitchy in the movie, and it's really annoying because there's this kind of mentality, and it comes into play a lot in action movies, where people are like, well, you can't be the damsel in distress, so you have to be tough. And to be tough, you have to be argumentative. You don't have to be argumentative. You don't have to be bitchy to be a strong female character. Sarah Connor was a strong female character in the first and the second movies. The first one, not as much. The second one, definitely. And of course, she was bitchier in the second one. But she isn't bitchy in a way where, like, she's bitchy to the audience, almost. She was just mentally fucked up and taking it out on different people. And that's what happens. This Sarah Connor, Kyle Reese comes back and she's like, oh, fuck this guy. But he didn't do anything. What the hell are you complaining about? This guy's here to protect you. He apparently loves you, or apparently that's what the script says he does. And she's so cold to him, and it's really bothersome, because if she's supposed to be somebody who loves him and all that by the end of the movie, they flipped the switch on it, and they didn't build up to it. I didn't believe at all at the end of the movie that Sarah loves John, uh, Sarah loves Kyle. I believed that she just kind of went like, man, he's here, and he's not bad looking. So... That's a uh, a miss. But the relationship between her and the Pops character, that's cool. Because it's a good way to do something different. Uh, I don't know if this is something they should be doing in the future anymore. Uh, spoiler alert, of course. Uh, Arnold survives the movie. Of course he's going to be in another one because he's the franchise player. But they already did the self-sacrifice. They already did the whole, you know, you can tell that he cares for Sarah and stuff. I don't know what the plot would be for another film that would involve the whole familial unit kind of thing, but I'll leave that up to them. So, other than the, the, the my Sarah thing and stuff like that, um, the difference when it comes to the Terminators this time around, you've got uh, Pops is the same T-800, and they do this through line throughout the movie of old but not obsolete which is kind of cool. Uh, they show him, you know, his uh, hand is a little bit messed up and he's got to kind of bang it out. You know, old people have like their, their messed up hips and stuff like that. So they kind of, they use that trope a little bit, but I like that that was kind of interesting because eventually they do wear out. I mean, the machines, I've got old computers that don't work. I've got old CDs that skip and everything because they've just worn out over the years. He's a Terminator. He's a machine. He's going to do that. And, at the end of the movie, there is a whole sequence where they have the polyalloy liquid metal stuff that the T-1000s are made out of, and somehow he becomes a T-1000. It's really kind of like phlebotinum, uh, deus ex machina, kind of like movie magic uh, that they do this, because it really doesn't make much sense, but then again, it's a Terminator movie. A lot of stuff doesn't make much sense. So Terminator's a... Uh, T-1000 now, he gets an upgrade. I don't know what that's going to be like in the future. I don't know if that's a hit or a miss yet. I kind of like it. It's kind of a hit. But at the same time, I think I'm going to look back on this as a miss because can you really picture Arnold Schwarzenegger playing the liquid metal version where if somebody shoots him, it just like makes a little hole. And if he punches somebody that it's just kind of like a, you know, a wet blanket. I don't know. So I'm curious about that. But our main 
Terminator other than him is John Connor, and they spoiled this in the trailers. Huge miss in this movie, if not the biggest miss. You can't advertise a movie where you uh, just flat out tell people what the big twist is. What would people have done if the Sixth Sense movie was advertised as... Uh, spoiler alert for this if you haven't seen it. And holy shit, if you haven't, you don't know the spoiler by now. But, uh, you know, if you're watching the trailer and it's, I see dead people and you're one of them, Bruce Willis, that wouldn't fly. Nobody would give a shit about the movie anymore. And because of this, that hurt this movie so much. Imagine what you would have thought if you went into this movie and you assumed that uh, Byung Hun Lee, I think is how do you pronounce his name, the one who's playing the T-1000, if you assumed that he was some kind of like T-1000 upgraded hybrid thing, and then it turns out, holy shit, it's John Connor, that would have been a huge twist. And it might have pissed people off even more. It might have made it better, I don't know, but I know I like being surprised more and that was disappointing. Big miss for that. Big miss in John in general, though. Like, I like the new model. I like the nanotech kind of thing. And it goes with the tradition of instituting a new brand of Terminators. In each film, they've done something different. The first movie's got, of course, the Terminator. You can't do anything different than that. And the HKs and stuff. Second movie has a T-1000. Third movie's got the TX, unfortunately. Uh, and the T-50, I guess you could kind of say. God, that movie's terrible. Uh, Salvation has whatever they classified Marcus Wright as. Is he the, uh, he said the T-700, I think, right? I don't know, whatever he is. Leave a comment below, tell me if you think, uh, you know what he's supposed to be. But he's the hybrid kind of thing. And then in this one, you've got the nanotech. Uh, But my fault with John is twofold. Number one, I don't like the idea of John being a Terminator. John is the savior of the human race. That is the plot of this movie franchise. And when you get rid of him, and they don't even wrap it up in a way where he can be still in the future, he's just like written off like fuck John Connor in this movie. Big miss. I don't like that at all. This shouldn't be about Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese. This should be about Sarah Connor and Kyle Reese making the human race's savior. This is John Connor's story. His parents are integral to that, and obviously that's the whole plot of the first Terminator. But without John, they're just two people that are you know in the mix of something that they can't win. It's supposed to be John Connor is the savior, and if they make this that Sarah and Kyle you know, two movies from now, they end this trilogy that they're planning, and it it's like Kyle saves the day or something like that. No, Kyle shouldn't save the day. John should. I mean, you've got your own rules for this universe. That's how it's supposed to be dictated. James Bond is the spy who wins at the end of those movies. You don't have a movie, a James Bond movie, where 009 saves the day all the time because it's a 007 movie. John Connor is the main character of the Terminator franchise. He should be the one that stops Skynet. Otherwise, this whole thing's pointless. But my other problem with John Connor is that Jason Clark, who I was kind of excited that he was going to play John Connor because I do like him, but he has no emotion when it comes to the pre-Terminator version of John Connor to make me think that he's human. 
When he's the Terminator, it makes sense for him not to have emotion, but he's got none when he's just goofing around with Kyle. He's bland, and I'd like to have seen a little bit of warmth. You know, John is the savior of the human race because not only is he the military leader, but he also inspires people, and this one he's more so kind of just like giving orders, and he's he's very cold and mechanical and stuff. I didn't buy it. At least with Terminator 2, Edward Furlong's character, he takes Danny Dyson off to the side, and it's like, you know, uh, you can't kill Miles because human life is precious and stuff. This one's kind of just like, here's what we gotta do, we're gonna do it. Hey Kyle, beer's good, huh? Yeah, alright. Now, I'm a Terminator, so now I'm even more cold and emotion, uh, emotionless. Definite miss when it comes to that, and I don't know what they're gonna do in the future with it, but I hope that they fix that problem. I mentioned Miles, Danny, Dyson, those two are in the movie, they're kind of pointless, you know, that's that's fine. Um, cool to see them introduce those characters back, and to have Danny Dyson be somebody who kind of carries on a little bit of the legacy, uh, I guess it's a hit, more than anything. The O'Brien character, the J.K. Simmons plays, I'll give him a hit. Yeah, he was something a little bit different than what we've seen, the, the crackpot kind of... Uh, the cop who witnessed it, because people have seen this kind of stuff. Most of them die. <laughs> you know, most people that watch a Terminator in any of these movies end up uh, getting killed. But that was kind of interesting, so I'll give it a hit, and I'm glad that they didn't kill him off, because maybe he could be a big part in the future or something like that. I don't know. Either way, I kind of liked it. Um, the T-1000, that's a miss. Um some of the action sequence stuff with that, like him, which you, again, you saw in the trailer. So that was kind of disappointing him slicing off his part of his arm and throwing that as a projectile. That was cool. But the special effects in this movie are not any better than they were in 1991. And I don't know if that's just such a testament to how good Terminator two is, or if that's more of a disappointment in that they haven't figured out a way to make it even better. Of course, yeah, there are some things that are better. You know, the other movie, they had the tin foil, uh, aluminum foil on uh, Robert Patrick's chest and stuff. But when I was watching the main action set piece of the T-1000, the car chase, and then the trap that they set afterward, I didn't care. You know, the chase that they do after Pescadero, where the T-1000's got his arms linked into the cop car was so much more thrilling to me than watching the little flips and the shooting and stuff that they did in this movie. It was kind of less is more. And that's definitely a problem in my book. And then there's Skynet. Matt Smith, who most people know from Doctor Who. I've never watched Doctor Who. I don't know anything about him, really. Sorry. But he went into this movie and everybody was like, oh man, he's got to be playing something important because he wouldn't just be a side character. And a lot of people actually had the theory, what if he is John Connor? I was kind of hoping that that would be the case a little bit through this movie because I was like, well, I don't like the idea of John being a Terminator and stuff anyway. So if they would have done some kind of a twist, I would have been kind of cool with that. Instead, he is dubbed as Alex. And Alex is Skynet. He is a human representative, which is... Again, kind of a hit, kind of a miss. Skynet's defeated at the end of this story. I mean, the human race is going to win, no matter what. 
every movie ends with the human race essentially going to win. This, when they do this whole branching off point where it changes after sending the Terminator and Kyle back through time, somehow there is a human posing as Skynet that's still operational, even though Skynet's taken down. And I don't like that. But I kind of do like the idea that maybe that there would be some kind of like a human Skynet. Because if there's a central core, you can bomb it. But if there is an infiltrator unit, and you aren't sure that that is actually like the the core of Skynet, then it's a little bit harder, kind of. It's a little bit easier to, to destroy, but it's also a little bit harder to even know to attack it. So I guess that's another one, one of those things where... I don't know if I'll look back on this and give it a big miss or a big hit. Right now I'm in the middle of the road. I'm in a ricochet, I guess you could say. I mentioned the T-1000 It was a problem when it came to the aspect of like what, you know, the special effects and stuff like that. But that's my only real nitpick when it comes to special effects. One friend of mine said that it wasn't good when it came to the visual effects that it was like the CGI looked really bad. And really that didn't look bad. The only part that looked a little bit cheap to me were the sections at the beginning of the movie where the Skynet, like the endoskeletons are kind of walking around. They looked a little bit CGI and that was a little bit annoying, but we've seen worse. Although I got to say the best thing that we've seen so far when it came to any of the endoskeletons was Terminator two. And it was just practical effects. Practical effects can look so much better if you're able to pull it off. Stan Winston knew how to pull that shit off. But when it comes to dealing with the Terminators and different ways to do cool stuff with them, something that always was confusing to me that they never did in these movies was they never really introduced electricity or magnetism as ways to destroy the Terminators. And I really liked a big hit that they introduced both of them in this movie. And another one, too, about the... Um, Whatever the, I don't know what kind of chemical it was or whatever like that, but they had the, the trap where some kind of like acid rain chemical substance or whatever is poured over the T-1000 and that's how they were able to like dissipate him. I thought that that was kind of cool. But magnetism being a big part in the destruction of John Connor, very cool. You would assume that magnetism have, would have some kind of a, an effect on this kind of stuff because they're, you know, metal. Um, but at the same time, other than that, there weren't really memorable things. I mean, the only thing that people are going to really remember when it came to this, when it comes to this movie for action set pieces, they're not going to remember things like, you know, in Terminator 2, we've got the Hasta la Vista baby with a shattering and we've got the big shootout with a minigun and we've got damn near like everything in that movie. Um, this one's going to be just that one shot that, again, they showed in the trailer, which is the I'll be back projectile through the helicopter. You know, I don't know who did the trailer for this movie, but they just took anything that would be memorable, shoved it in there, and then went, okay, now go spend 15 bucks to see the rest of it. Very, very disappointing. Big miss on that one. And I'm in the middle of the ground when it comes to the music, too. I've mentioned that Brad Fidel's score is so damn good for the first and the second movie. First one's cheesy, yeah. But the main theme is brilliant. And the only thing in this movie that was really good when it comes to the music is the main theme. 
Although the opening shot is the main theme, and it's a very sad version of it, and I loved it. It's amazing. The track on the the score, the soundtrack, is called Better Days. I definitely recommend that. The rest of it, I don't remember it. You know, there's no, like, distinctual kind of tone that they kind of go with this. The first movie, you've got the little kind of thing that they've done like that. Sorry that I'm singing, but... uh, They've got their little kind of thing that they go with that. In Terminator 2, you've got the very ominous, like, droning T-1000 music and stuff. I don't remember anything about this movie's music. So, more so miss than anything else. And really what's sad about it is, I don't have much else to say. I mean, I know you're probably looking at this and you're going, well, this guy's rambling on for like 30-something minutes by himself on a podcast, and it could be a five-minute movie review with ten people, but for somebody like myself who loves Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 and wants this franchise to be viewed in the same way that those two movies are, I should have more to rant and rave about, and I don't. This is a movie that I summed up in my other version of my review, the Making the Grade review, where it's the breakdown of, you know, this is an A, a B, that kind of, you know, it's a report card kind of thing. There's two lines in that that I, I need to replicate here that sum up my opinions about this movie. You can't give me filet mignon like Terminator 1 and Terminator 2 and then give me Steakum and expect me not to think that the quality's gone down. Terminator 3, Terminator Salvation, and Terminator Genesis are just not anywhere near good when it comes to the other ones. Uh, people argue with that with the prequel trilogy for Star Wars, people will argue that with different Bond movies, and people will argue that for any kind of franchise. I mean, Iron Man 2 is not as good as Iron Man 1, and there are some people already saying that Avengers Age of Ultron is kind of downsided compared to Avengers and stuff. A little bit disagreeing there in some ways, but you know, if you start off really high up, and then you dip down, that's just going to be more and more depressing. Actually, you know what? I'll bring up another idea about this. Um, I'm not a big Lord of the Rings fan, but when I watched The Fellowship of the Ring, I actually admitted to myself, I was like, you know what? That was actually a pretty damn good movie. I might watch the rest of these. And Two Towers came out, and I was disappointed. Return of the King came out, and I was like, oh my god, this is an ending. But now, at that point, I had already seen the three movies, and when they announced that they were going to do The Hobbit, I was like, you know what? I'll watch them, but I'm not going to go pay to see them in theaters. I'm going to just check them out after they've already been released online. And the first Hobbit is awful. The second Hobbit is even more tiresome to get through. And the third one is just as bad. So those Hobbit movies might be great to some people. And then when they go to watch the other ones, they're even better. And it's like, man, these are fantastic and stuff like that. But if you go in reverse... It sucks. Terminator 1, Terminator 2, great movies. Terminator 3, terrible. Salvation, slight bump up. And Genesis, I don't even know if I would consider it a bump up from Salvation. It's kind of a better movie than Terminator 3. And in some ways it's worse. I mean, it's subjective in a lot of ways and stuff, but it's just not a great movie. And... Another line that I had in my making a great thing that 
really a, you know, if you're going to compare filet mignon and steakum and stuff and do that kind of thing, what I have to boil this down to is it's lacking the heart and the art of the other two. It doesn't have that emotional cord that the other ones did. I mean, you can watch Terminator 2, and at the end there, where he's doing the thumbs up, you can get a little teary-eyed when you're watching that. And this one, when he's like, you know, the best part of the movie, essentially, take care of my Sarah. I didn't have any tears in my eyes. I wasn't getting, you know, upset, choked up about it. I was supposed to be, but I wasn't. And that's because they didn't do as good of a job making this movie as they did with the other ones. And Alan Taylor is somebody who has made, uh, no, a couple of different movies now. This isn't his first rodeo. And he, of course, did a better job at this movie than I would have done. I don't want people to think that I'm one of those kind of guys that thinks like, you know, oh, well, you could give me a camera and I could do it better. No, I am not a director. I do not know how to pull that off. If you were to tell me, you know, let's take this kind of a wide angle lens and shoot this, whatever, it'd be like, I already don't know what the hell's going on because I don't know the technicalities and stuff. But at the same time, I didn't like Thor The Dark World better than Thor. And I haven't watched, I think, any of his television work. Um, I know he worked on Game of Thrones for some episodes. I didn't watch that. I'm looking at his um, IMDb right now and his Sex in the City episodes. Uh, I didn't watch that. You know, whatever. But he's just not as good of a filmmaker in my mind as James Cameron. And he might be in the future. And it might be something where, you know, this is the last movie before he goes crazy and starts making amazing films and stuff like that. And I wish that on him because I want everything to be great. You know, I never want a movie to be bad ever, but this doesn't have that same appeal to me. It's just not fundamentally as good of a movie. The actors are not as good as the actors in the first two films. The directing is not as good. The score is not as good. The effects aren't as good. The action's not as good. The, everything about this movie is just not as good. But it's better than I expected it to be. And that's kind of saying a lot, and it's kind of saying nothing. Because if I went into this movie expecting it to be the most god-awful piece of trash in the world, and it wasn't, that's a plus, but it's still not a good movie. So... Essentially, what I boil this down to, and, and the best way that I can explain this to everybody, is what I mentioned at the beginning of this kind of thing. If you have the extra 15 bucks to spend, and you're a Terminator fan, and you want to go see something that's got some mindless action to it, but not even like a great action movie, like, you know, tons of explosions, and this is cool and stuff, it doesn't have that stuff. But if you're just kind of looking for something to do, eh, go see the movie. If you're somebody who's going to criticize it like I am somebody who is passionate about the franchise, somebody who wants to go see a good movie, don't spend the money. You know, the best way to vote and tell people that they need to do better on these kind of films is to vote with your wallet. And if this movie makes shit ton of money, we're going to see more of it, just the same as we did with Transformers. That's saying a lot. Because <laughs> those movies are terrible. But if it doesn't do that well, and kind of screws up the plans that they were going to have of this new trilogy, maybe they'll just kind of let this franchise go and put it to rest. And maybe that would be the best thing for it. I hate saying that, but that might be what is best. So 
before I say goodbye to you guys, I just want to give you a little breakdown of some different things that you guys should know that's happening right now with Fanboys Anonymous. Of course, I mentioned before, we did the four real movie club of the first four Terminator films. So if you are interested in hearing more positive things, definitely go check that out. Although you might want to skip Terminator 3. But um, we've got other reviews coming up soon. Uh, the next film that I know for sure that we're going to review is going to be Ant-Man. So you can definitely check that review point coming up, uh, was it uh, June 17th or something like that? I think it's when it comes out. Around that time, a day or so after the movie comes out, we'll have this up. But I'm gonna also going to try to get some people to figure out stuff with Mission Impossible. That might be our next four real movie club, the first four of them in that franchise. We might do a review point of that film. We're going to try to have another group meeting this month. We're going to try to do as many things as possible. So if you're interested in having more of these podcast discussions and stuff, then definitely keep checking out this channel. Subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, and if you're listening on there and you want to go to the YouTube page, that's youtube.com slash fanboysanonymous. Our Twitter is fanboysanon. Our Facebook is .com slash fanboysanonymous. And me personally, I have all sorts of different avenues, different things you can follow me on. Facebook, Twitter, my wrestling website is uh, smartoutmoment.com, and there's podcasts when it comes to that and stuff. There's the All Talk Show, which you can find on Facebook.com slash the all, uh, slash all Talk Show. That's where we will tell you guys when we're going to do our random episodes. But if you want to check that out in the archived edition, that's iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube. Everything's always those three. So you guys just uh, you click on one of our things, you'll find links to all sorts of other things and stuff like that. Uh, make sure you, you guys leave your comments below here. Tell me what you think that the hits and the misses of Terminator Genesis were. Is this something that was good for the franchise? Is it something bad? Is it something that you are glad it happened? Or is this just another downgrade for this franchise? Leave those comments, subscribe, like, share, favorite, all that other kind of jazz. And this has been episode 15 of the Review Point. Uh, I think that uh, I'm done shooting the breeze on this one. Uh, thank you for joining me. I'm Tony Mango, and despite the flaws in this, I am still a Terminator fanboy, so I will see you next time, everybody.